0: Well, it is great to be here this morning, and we all look forward to a day when we can all be together again and and be relatively safe in doing so, and uh, we look forward to that day when we can hug one another's necks and shake some hands and things like that, Uh, and and this is an, an awkward time. And I don't want to, I feel like if we just ignore the awkwardness, it just kind of makes it worse and sticking in the back of our head. So I wanted to just address that up front. For those of you watching at home, it's awkward to not be worshiping together with us in person. For those of you in the room, it's awkward to be worshiping in a gym rather than in the sanctuary. And there, there are just things that are different. And so, um, but I do think that. So many of us are making the best of it, that we are doing what we can to honor God during this time. We are doing what we can to love others and to to prove that love to others. And so I'm I'm grateful to get to be a part of a church who is striving to do that and is really uh, showing that love in some creative ways and some different ways. And I know that... uh, The novelty of this wore off after about a week, (laughs) but I'm grateful that so many of you have been faithful, even in the midst of such trying times. And so thank you guys for for being faithful in that way. Uh, Last week, we did not look at Jeremiah because Daniel Merrill was coming in view of a call and and preaching, um, and we voted to see if he was going to become our associate pastor of youth. And uh, the vote for that was 65 to 3, and so about 95% yes. Uh, And so Daniel and London, they will be coming. And so we are excited about that. And uh, I thought he did a phenomenal job preaching last week. And then when I, um, uh, as soon as we got home, I had to get it online. So I'm like kind of watching it again as I'm doing all that. And I just enjoyed it the second time also. And so uh, with that said, uh, we will be finalizing his start date and stuff, which will be fairly soon. Uh, But he he might even be here next Sunday. We'll have to see. But uh, with that said, we're going to turn our attention and focus back to Jeremiah, where we have been studying about how God's plan prevails. And we have seen that over and over and over and over again in Jeremiah and this week we're going to look at how God's plan includes redemption. Now the last time we were in Jeremiah, we saw uh, we, we looked at these passages about the Messiah. And we've been in chapters 30 through 33 last week and, and this week. And last week in, in chapter 30 uh, and we we looked at a few verses in some of the other chapters, 30 and 33, we we looked at how God promised that he would send this Savior, this Savior in the lineage of David, who was going to be righteous, who was going to uh, rescue and help and lead in this perfect way. And of course, we know that Jeremiah was prophesying about Jesus, and we looked at that, and this week, we're going to see how, in, in the midst of that, so I don't want you to forget that, because This week we're going to spend most of our time, well all of our time, in Jeremiah chapters 32 and 33. We're not going to read all of 32, I'm going to summarize a lot of 32, and then we'll pick up back, we'll we'll read the first couple of verses with setting, pick back up at the end of 32, and then go into 33 and to several verses there. Uh, But it's in the middle, this God's plan for redemption. Right in the middle of him talking about his plans for the Messiah. and So I don't want you to forget that context within this. Now, in chapters 30 and 31, we didn't really get a timetable of when that was. Uh, There's a lot of places in Jeremiah that don't give us a timetable. And we're just, due to the content that he is mentioning, we have to guess where it fits in the timeline. Uh, But with this, this week, we're going to see exactly Where he's at, and so I I do want you to uh, pay attention to what is going on in Jeremiah's life, where he's at, uh, as we'll see in just a second, and the fact that the redemption falls in the midst of the talk about the Messiah. Um, But I also want us to turn our attention to the fact that sometimes, and I know that none of you have experienced this recently. That's that's heavy sarcasm, in case you you aren't getting it. None of you have experienced moments of desperation or hopelessness. None of you, right? These are things that we've experienced. These are things that have been um, very prevalent in our individual lives, in our society, um, around the world. There have been times where things felt hopeless. And there there are even times when obedience, obeying God seems like this radical idea there are times when you think when he says love your neighbor where you're like yeah okay i can see god saying that right Um, but what about loving your neighbor if that person is your enemy or hates you well that's a little more difficult and we see all these places in scripture where god calls his people to obey and love him no matter the cost and we have to make sure that when we're in the midst of those moments, that we keep our eyes focused on Him. Because there, if, we, if we turn our eyes from Him, we see the hopelessness. We see the desperation. We can see the pain. We can see the suffering. And one day, all that will be put to an end. But we're not to that day yet. And there's this very common saying in uh, Christianity... When we're talking about our salvation, when we're talking about what we know is going to come, and and that saying is, uh, already, but not yet. And the salvation, and the salvation from our current problems, the salvation from our sin, which we will address in the sermon, all of those things, God has already secured those things for those who put their faith in Him. Right? And that salvation is kept by him in heaven according to first peter chapter one we're secure however have we experienced the fullness of that realization yet no we will but we haven't yet and so with that said jeremiah knew about the hopeless moments he knew about desperation he knew about obeying god even when it didn't make sense he knew about obeying god when in fact obeying god Not only did it not make sense, it looked ridiculous. And we're going to see an exact uh, example of that this morning. So with that said, if you have your Bibles, turn to Jeremiah chapter 32. And we are going to look at the first two verses. And as we're looking at this, I just want you to remember a truth that we have been learning the last few weeks of Jeremiah. Which is, we can know that God's plan prevails. Right? God's plan prevails the theme we've been looking at this whole time since the first week of february uh, we know that his plan is for our good and we know that it includes redemption his plan includes redemption and so with that said jeremiah chapter 32 verses 1 through 2 the word that came to jeremiah from the lord in the 10th year of zedekiah king of judah so uh, I, t- I told you earlier we get an exact moment of when this is and most, uh, most biblical scholars, if, if they look at the date that Jerusalem was destroyed, the temple was destroyed, as 586 B.C., then this date will be set a- around 587 B.C., the year right before Jerusalem was destroyed. Maybe 588, 587, sometime in that time frame. And so we know that because it tells us the very year, the tenth year, Zedekiah came of Zedekiah king of Judah which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar and so we have a pinpoint of when this was now let's see where Jeremiah is because the last time we looked at where Jeremiah was writing from he was in Jerusalem and the people were in exile in Babylon and so this is after that this is a few years after that we're not sure about the previous two chapters but for this in the next chapter this is a few years after that and in verse 2 we see at that time the army of king ...of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem. And Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the guard that was in the place of the king of Judah. And so where is Jeremiah? Well, he's in Jerusalem, but specifically he's in jail or prison. And this is a little bit different. The court of the guard, it it, it would allow people to come in and see him, but he could not leave. He was in trouble. And if we were to continue reading chapter 32, we would see that the reason he was in trouble is because he prophesied exactly what was happening. That that Jerusalem would be attacked by Nebuchadnezzar and destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians. And because he prophesied those things, which were in this moment coming to pass, um, he was put into prison. And so, again, uh, his friends were allowed to visit him, but not a lot of people. And, And we see those details... Uh, some of those details through verse five, and in, in verses six through fifteen, I'm going to summarize this for you. Um, God tells Jeremiah to buy a field from his cousin. Now, this is an important part of the, what we're going to be studying today, um, but th- there's a lot of verses and a lot of detail about this that I need to summarize so that we can fit this into one sermon. And it, it goes into how the deed was sealed and. All the the legal details, and and if you are interested in that, then I encourage you to go back and read the first half of chapter 32 or more that we're going to be summarizing. Um, But he tells him to go buy a field from his cousin, and not only to buy it, but to make sure that there is paperwork and witnesses proving that he has bought the field. Now, I don't know what you know about property value, but how much do you think a piece of property would be worth... In an area that is being destroyed by a foreign enemy. And Jeremiah is told to go buy it full price, count out the money, get the get the paperwork done, all of that, in this time. And so Jeremiah obeys God. He does that. And he asks but he does ask God in, in verses 16 through 35. He asks God basically what's the point of this? Because the land is about to be destroyed and taken over by the Babylonians. And in verse 27. God explains that nothing is too hard for God. This might not make sense. How many of you have ever been in a spot in your life where you just did not understand what God was doing or why he was doing it? Anybody ever been in a moment like that? I bet a lot of us have, right? I'll see a lot of hands up. And we don't understand why God does things. I'm I'm at that place often. I don't understand what God is doing and I don't understand why he's doing it. But we're, we're not God, so we don't have full understanding. We're not omniscient. He is. And so in those times, we have to trust Him. But in our trust, it doesn't mean that we don't have questions. And in our questions, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't bring those to God. So often, we consider faith or strong faith as someone who never doubts. But that's not faith. That's certainty. Faith is required When doubt is involved, faith is required when we're not sure of the end, when we can't see where things are going. And so we have to have faith, and Jeremiah had faith even in the midst of his questions. Now that doesn't mean that God didn't respond to his questions with a little bit of sarcasm himself or a strong word. We see this throughout the Bible, where God sometimes answers in this very gentle touch and then other times he answers in a very harsh word of truth but god knows how he knows the answer we need and how to give it to us in the timing that we need so that's a lot to wrap our minds around but jeremiah trusts god in the midst of this he before he came with his questions he obeyed god he he bought the land That God told him to buy. And then he came to God with his questions. And was basically like. Why is this happening? Why are you telling me to buy this land. That is about to be destroyed. And God comes back. And he tells him. That the reason that he's buying this land. Is. God will will reveal that. And he does actually. I believe it's verse 35. Where. uh, There will be land bought and sold. in, In this place again. Which we'll get to. Now he goes into more detail in, in later on in the passage. Um, but he also says this. He says, the reason I'm doing this, the reason I'm allowing the Babylonians to come here, this isn't going to be new to those of you who have been studying Jeremiah with us, uh, but the reason that he allowed God to come here, it, it, and he gives a specific reason this time, really one reason with only one sub-point. Usually, he has been given three or 4 subpoints, right? Right been oppressing the foreigners you've been neglecting the widows and the orphans and and you've been shedding innocent blood and so let's in this one in this case in this passage verses uh, 16 to 35 he says that they have been worshiping other gods which has been the main point in jeremiah and worshiping other gods led them to these other things that he had against them the main point is that they have not been worshipping him. He has not been first in their lives. And because he has not been first. It led to this disobedience. Uh, but then. He gives one more sub, one sub point. In that passage. And it is. That they have been offering their children. As sacrifices to foreign gods. And can you imagine. And that. Is what's been happening. So how do you think. A loving just God is going to respond To something like that And he tells Jeremiah I'm starting over I'm cleaning the house We're going to purify this land We're going to tear down the altars to the foreign gods we're going to, I'm going to tear down my own temple Because they have Infiltrated my own temple And we're, we're going to see all of this Destroyed at the hands of the Babylonians And so With that said let's pick up in verse 36 And now we're going to stay in the scripture all the way through uh, Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 13. Uh, But there will be a lot of reading uh, as we go through this. But this is, really, I could have started reading in in chapter 32, verse 1, and it's one story. It just is so, uh, such a good flow that um, it's one of those things that I don't want to interrupt some of this reading by talking too much. So let's read. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning this city of which you say, and this is an exact quote from something Jeremiah said earlier in the chapter. So this is what God is saying about what Jeremiah says. It is given into the hand of the king of Babylon by sword, by famine, and by pestilence. Behold, I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger. Now, we've seen this before. We've seen this promise before. We saw it. Very, very briefly in Jeremiah chapter 29. If you remember Jeremiah chapter 29, which 29 and 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your welfare, right? For your good. And we, we know that verse. We memorize that verse. Um, but the 10 verses before that, and then there's a, a few, maybe two or three verses of good in Jeremiah chapter 29, starting in verse 11. But then it goes back to judgment. And then uh, we we... we see that there's not much of it's just stated that god knows the plans he has for them and that it's going to be okay he's going to bring them back and then they move on but what we're about to see is how god goes into more detail about the good he has for them because this good involves redemption he's going to specifically talk about them being able to come back to the land and if you were here a couple of weeks ago you remember how we've been talking about how so much of what is said in, in the Bible, is, is, it's all meant for the people right there who are listening to it. But then there are places where there is some prophecy that, yes, it's meant for them, but it's talking about something that is yet to come. However, for us, it's already happened. It was future for them, but it's past for us. And, and we're going to get into some of that again. And, and even some of this is future for us still. And so, with that said... I'm going to start back over at verse 37. Behold, I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath and in in great indignation. I will bring them back to this place and I will make them dwell in safety. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. This is the simplest statement of covenant in the Bible. They shall be my people and I will be their God. This is the, the, the covenant that God has made with us. Now, if you remember, we've already seen how the old covenant, the covenant that he had made with the Israelite people, is passed away. That it didn't work. That they failed their end of the covenant. And so there's going to be a new covenant that is coming. And we know, of course, that that was Jesus and and the salvation that he offers. Um, But they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Verse 39. I will give them one heart and one way. This sounds familiar, right? Daniel preached on this last week from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. And we saw that oneness, that unity. That is not just a New Testament thing. We are to be one in God, those of us who love him, who follow him. And and notice what he says here. I will give them one heart and one way. The, The change we talked about this Wednesday night during our prayer meeting, the change that God makes in us is an inward change. That works its way to the outside. And the Israelites uh, in the Old Testament always struggled with this. They never forgot that they were God's chosen people. That was evident to them. They they constantly reminded each other of that. In fact, the people in Jeremiah, the false prophets and false teachers, used that truth as an excuse of why God would not destroy Jerusalem. Of why God would not punish them. Because they were his people. Right? Right? Um, The temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. He says it three times in, I believe, chapter 7. And here we are seeing that God is saying to them that he's going to cleanse them. He's going to purify them. He's going to give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever. Now, this fear is reverence. It's a healthy respect. It's when I I don't know how how many of you in here uh, had this experience with your father. But when I use my dad voice, my kids listen, right? Because they have a, they're shaking their heads in the back. Uh-huh. Because they have a healthy understanding that they should respect that, that dad has some authority. And if an earthly father has some authority, how much more does our heavenly father have? And, and so we should have a healthy respect for God. And, and I'll, I'll give more details of why in just a moment, but let's keep reading um, that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. So why does? what is the reason that God gives in this particular verse, he gives more throughout scripture, but in this particular verse, what is the reason God gives for us needing to fear him? Because it's for our own good and the good of our children. If we truly love him, And we truly follow him the way that his word prescribes for us to do. Then it is going to be for our good. It is going to be for the good of our children. Even if we lose everything in obedience to him. Even if we lose our lives in obedience to him. It is going to be for our good. Because eternity is a lot longer than this temporary life that we have here. And so... We have to trust God. We have to fear Him. We have to have reverence and respect for Him because that is what is best for us and our children. And I know that many of us can have regrets of what we didn't do with our kids. But if we're still breathing and our kids are still breathing, then there's still time to show them the love of Christ. There's still time to fear God. There's still time to to follow Him and obey Him. And we have to keep our eyes on this. And and even as I'm pointing this to application in our own lives, let us not forget that this is being said to Jeremiah while he's in prison, while his city is being destroyed, while the temple is about to be destroyed. And this was not just like the Babylonians came in and the people surrendered and they went off to to, to exile in the Babylon. Those people are gone. The people who were going into exile willingly, that time has passed. We've already looked at that. This is where the Babylonians have surrounded the city, where people are starving to death because they are stuck in the city with an army surrounding them. These are desperate, desperate times. And think about Jeremiah in the midst of this, in the midst of this time he's in prison. And yet, God is still saying that it is good for the people who are experiencing this to trust Him and to fear Him because He knows what He is doing. And so when we apply this to our own lives, we might think that we are experiencing something that no person has ever experienced before. Because sometimes we're tempted to believe that because our, our suffering is so real to us and it is real. And I'm not trying to negate that. Our suffering can be intense and And the older I get, the more I learn about suffering. And and unfortunately, I don't just learn it by watching other people suffer. I learn it by myself going through suffering. And so in the midst of chaos, we have to trust God. He knows what he is doing. He has a plan, and it's good. We have to have one heart and one way. We have to fear him forever because that's what's good for us and our children. Verse 40. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. This is incredible. He's making a new covenant. We already did that. And this new covenant is going to be an everlasting covenant. And, and of course, from the New Testament perspective, we know these things are true. We understand about eternal life and that, that this is something that's not going to be broken. That this is a, a promise that God is making with us for those who follow Him that He will not break. And And so we can... We can trust him in this everlasting covenant that he's not going to turn away from just, not just uh, stopping the bad stuff, but doing good. And, And of course, we might not experience this fullness until later, but we can trust this. Continuing in verse 40, and I will put the fear of me in their hearts, that they may not turn from me. This is a good thing, too, right? Who keeps us secure in our salvation? Is it us? No, it's God who's going to prevent the church in its fullness from turning away from the father. The father is going to prevent that through the salvation that he has secured for us in Jesus, the Holy Spirit that has filled us and sealed us. Verse 41, I will rejoice in doing them good. It's interesting because we've been looking at these words, and, and in, in this passage, these words are present. When you see disaster or bad, um, then that is the word ra'ah that we have we studied in detail in an earlier sermon. This, this Hebrew word ra'ah, and it can mean bad, it can mean sin, but it can also be God working disaster, ra'ah, for good, toba. And this word good keeps coming up again in this passage. And it's really incredible because Not only is God going to do good for us For those who fear him, who follow him Who have a relationship with him And in this case, specifically for Israel He's going to bring them back to this land Looking a little further It's the New Testament way that we've been looking in this passage Um, But he's going to rejoice in doing us good In doing them good and doing us good God loves us God really does love us And I know that this might seem like a simple statement, but we can get blinded by the chaos that surrounds us. We can forget of God's goodness in those moments. For some listening to this right now, it might be hard to hear that God loves you and he wants good for you. Because when you look around, you don't see good. And when I was on a college campus, this was the conversation that I probably had the most with people who are having a crisis of faith or just growing pains really because for some it might have been a crisis for faith but I think all of us ask this question at some point or another if, if God loves us why is there so much bad in the world why is there so much raw and I don't have all the answers for that if I did I would write a book and we could build a much bigger sanctuary that is safe for us all to social distance you know 20 feet apart but uh, I don't know the answers but here's the answer I do know Is that God has proven himself faithful in everything that he has claimed that he would do. And therefore, I can trust him to prove himself faithful in the future. And so when I look around and I see the chaos and I see the brokenness and I see the heartbreak and I see the destruction and the despair and the pain and the sickness and the disease that is spanning the globe and before this it was another disease and after this it will be another one. When I look around and I see those things and I ask myself, how can a loving God let this endure? I just have to trust His promises. I have to go back to Scripture and I have to believe Him when He says That he is not going back on his promise as some has accused him of doing, but he is being patient for our sake so that more can come to know him. He could put an end to all this right now, but he's being patient for our sake. He has a plan. He knows what he's doing, and his plan will prevail. I'm not sure if y'all have heard that before, but it will. I will rejoice in doing them good, and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness. Have they been faithful? Not recently. That's why God is allowing this, to purify them, to stop the evil that they are doing, to to, to to purify them, and to bring them back in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. What is the greatest command in Scripture? Yeah, that's right. I'm hearing y'all say it. They might not be able to hear it on the microphone here, but... Uh, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Well, here, how does God love us? And how is he doing good for us? And how is he setting us up for faithfulness? With all my heart, his heart, and soul. He is doing this in earnest. Verse 42. For thus says the Lord, Just as I have brought all this great disaster rah, upon this people so I will bring upon them all the good toba, that I promise them that promise is in present tense he promises he will do this so can we trust God when everything is falling around, down around us yes Can we trust God when we look around and we're heartbroken by the sin around us? Yes. Can we trust God when we look around and all we see is sickness? Yes. And in the midst of that trust, we can also strive to turn our attention to the good things. Because it's not just bad on this earth. There is these incredibly good and beautiful acts of kindness and sacrifice That happen all around us all the time. And by God's common grace, it's not just happening within Christian circles. We can look all over the world and see the mercies of God in so many places. And so we can trust him that he knows what he's doing. And we can focus on the good that we can see from this present time. And if we can't see any good, we can see good in in how he has been faithful before. Not only to us, but throughout history. In the the pages of the Bible We go to the Bible and we put our attention And our focus on it And we we trust his promises Verse 43 Fields shall be bought in this land This is going back To why he made Jeremiah Buy the the parcel of land In the first place Fields shall be bought in this land Of which you are saying it is a desolation Without man or beast It is given into the hands of the Chaldeans So uh, we see here that God is bringing Jeremiah's words back into space. Has anybody ever done that for you? I, I, I'm sure your spouse hasn't, right? When when you say something and then it doesn't come to fruition and they're like, oh, I thought you said it. I mean, Rose and I have never, ever done something like that to one another. <clears throat> Just making sure the light is not going to strike me for saying that. but. Uh, But God does that sometimes. I'm not saying that that is healthy for us humans to do. uh, But God does that sometimes. And here he is bringing Jeremiah's words back to him. Jeremiah is saying this is hopeless. What's the point? Why are you asking me about this land? The Babylonians are destroying this this land. And then they're going to destroy your temple. And what's the point of all this if, if we don't have the temple and this land is destroyed? And God is saying the point is what you cannot see. The point is... A future that you're not smart enough to figure out. And can't we all identify with that? What is despair? But us not knowing how God's going to work its fruition for good. And he's saying, I'm going to restore this place. I'm going to bring these people back. I'm going to, to rejoice in doing good.
1: I'm going to love them
0: with all my heart and soul and, and do good and, and provide their faithfulness with all my heart and soul. I'm going to do these things. I'm, land will be bought in this place again. So you look around at the desperation before you. You look around at the hopelessness. And my promise to you through God's word is that he will show himself faithful. He will show himself As a God who knew what he was doing all along. And we can trust him in the brokenness. We can trust him in times of disaster. Jeremiah is in prison. And even Jeremiah can trust him. Jeremiah is in prison in a town that is being destroyed. And Jeremiah can trust him. Jeremiah is in prison and a town that's going to be destroyed where the temple of the Lord is. This incredible uh, building that shows the faithfulness of God throughout the generations that Solomon was able to build and that David really wanted to build. But but God said, no, your son's going to be able to do it. And Solomon built it. And it has been this this testimony of God's goodness and faithfulness throughout the, the land. And it's about to be destroyed. And not only is God okay with that. He is bringing it to be. God works in ways that we might not ever understand. God might destroy and and cause disaster. rah -ah, But if he does and you are his, he is doing it for your good. Is this easy to trust? No. I cannot tell you how many times I have been in tears because I don't trust this with the amount of faith that I should I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying it's true. He knows what he's doing. And we can trust him. Verse 44. Fields shall be bought for money and deeds shall be signed and sealed and witnessed in the land of Benjamin, in the places about Jerusalem, and in the cities of Judah, in the cities of the hill country, in the cities of Shephelah, and in the cities of the Negev, for I will restore their fortunes, declares the Lord. Now going into chapter 33. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time while he was still shut up in the court of the guard. Now we can know that this is very, very soon afterwards because there will no longer be a court of the guard because the city is about to be destroyed. And so verse 2, thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name. Call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. So what do we do in those moments where, where faith and hope and trust is hard to come by? What do we do in those moments where we see destruction and we see the disaster that maybe even God himself is working together? I'm not saying that all disaster is blessed and, and desired by God. We know that's not true according to the word of God. But we know that God is sovereign and that he is in control of all things. And so when we look around and we see that desperation, what do we do? Yes, we trust him, but we pray, which is the very thing Jeremiah did in the previous chapter. When God told him to buy the land, he obeyed. He bought the land. But then what did he do? He came to God and he said, why are you telling me to buy this land? Why are you telling me to trust you in the midst of this chaos? How do we apply that? How do I trust you when... Someone I love has turned their back on me. How do I trust you when someone I love is in desperate need, health, physical need? What do I do when I don't have the money to pay the next bill? What do I do when disaster comes? What we do is we obey him and we pray to him. We come to him and we ask him, God, show me what you're doing. And his answer might come now, and it might come in heaven. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't ask it. That doesn't mean we shouldn't come to him and seek, God, what are you working in all of this? He might not give you all the details of why things are taking place. Sometimes, in retrospect, we can see how God was working, and sometimes we're not sure what he was doing. But we can come to him, and verse 3 tells us to call to him. Call to me, he says, and I will answer you. And will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Now, if you think you know everything, then you're never going to go to him and you're never going to cry to him. If you think you have all the answers and you know what's best in every circumstance, then this is not going to apply to you because you will never humble yourself before him until he brings the right disaster that humbles you. And so... Where you are right now you go to him And you cry out to him And what will he do When we call to him He will answer And he will show And now specifically in relation to Jeremiah he's talking about this. That He answered the question that Jeremiah Asked and he's going to Do it again when Jeremiah asks And we'll see more prophecy In this book we'll see more Answers for us We come to him, we trust him, and and you might be thinking that the only way to hear God is for him to do this miraculous act in your life, but we hold this miraculous thing called the Bible, where we can go and find so much truth that we will know how to act in those moments. And so, call to me and I will answer you, and we'll tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the houses of this city and the houses of the kings of Judah that were torn down to make a defense against the siege mounds and against the sword. They are coming in to fight against the Chaldeans and to fill them with the dead bodies of men whom I shall strike down in my anger and my wrath. I have hidden my face from the city because of all their evil. Why is God fighting against his people? Because of the evil that they have done. Worshipping other gods And what was the result of worshipping other gods They have Oppressed the foreigners And neglected the widows and orphans They have shed innocent blood By sacrificing their children To foreign gods And that's just you know A summary of the evil I'm sure there's a lot more specifics But he's saying that he's coming against them So When we call out We need to make sure that they're is not unconfessed sin in our life. We see this in Isaiah. Where he says. God says I have hidden. They, they cried out. But God did not answer them. And he says is my ear too dull that I cannot hear. Or my arm too short that I cannot save. No. Your iniquities. Your sins have caused a separation between you and your God. And so the same is true here. These people are crying out for help. But their sin has caused the separation. They haven't repented. They haven't turned from their sin. And this is what it's going to take for them to turn. Verse 6. Behold, I will bring to, to it health and healing. So, yes, he's bringing destruction, but he's also going to bring health and healing. And I will heal them and reveal to them abundance of prosperity and security. I will restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel and rebuild them as they were at first. Did God fulfill this promise? Yes, and he's still in the act of fulfilling it because we are promised in the future sense of this text that one day all will be made right. Everything that was broken, everything that was made wrong will be made right. And so we have to trust God in this. I will restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel and rebuild them as they they were at first. Verse 8. I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me. So obviously now we're looking future tense. Because how is our sin cleansed? Through Jesus. And I will forgive all their guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. In the short term, he's going to bring them back. We're going to look at this in a future sermon. After the 70 year exile, he brings his people back to Jerusalem. The city is rebuilt. We'll look at this. But in a further sense, for everyone who puts their faith in him. The, the people of Israel sinned against God. How many of you in this room have sinned against God? We all need this hope. We all need this redemption. And God's plan includes it. So we have to trust him. Verse 9. And this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise, and a glory before all the nations of the earth, who shall hear of all the good that I do for. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and the prosperity I provide for it. We're going to stop there. So, we should fear. The Israelites should be fearing God. But guess who else will one day fear God? Everyone. According to this, the people that saw God's goodness to His people and redeeming them and restoring them Um, specifically Jerusalem, Judah, and he even mentions Israel in this chapter Um, when he's restoring it, it all, the people will see it and they will see God's power in bringing those people back, not just from the hands of the Babylonians, but there's more in the future but for us we can look around and we can see God working we can trust God But we better trust him while we still have breath in our lungs. We better trust him before the end comes. Whatever the end is, whether that's our death or Jesus returning. Because we won't have more opportunities once that happens. We have an, an opportunity now to put our trust in him. We have an opportunity now to follow him. And we have to be faithful in doing that. So where are you this morning? Whenever you're watching this. Have you put your faith in him? Have you put your trust in him? Even when the chaos is all around. First of all. Have you asked him to forgive you of your sins. And to cleanse you. As he says he would do for the people of Israel here. and which is, we're adopted into this. and In the new covenant. Anyone who comes to him. And puts their faith in him. He will forgive. He will save them. If we're truly calling out for that salvation, if we're truly putting our faith in Him, following Him, He will do. Or maybe you've already done it. But something tells me that if you've been a Christian long enough, you've experienced some doubt. You've looked around you and you've seen the pain, you've seen the suffering, and you've asked, what is this for? Why are you doing this? Which was Jeremiah's prayer. And if that's true of you. You can trust him now. Not, not just for salvation. But trust him. In a renewed sense daily. Where you're giving him. Control of your life. It doesn't mean you have to enjoy the suffering. It doesn't mean you have to be glad. When God brings the ra. Or when rod When the bad occurs. It doesn't mean that. It means that you know that he will work good from you, even while you're not enjoying it bad. It means that you have faith and you trust him. Even when sometimes it looks silly to do so, like buying a field in a land that is about to be destroyed, but knowing that God will one day restore it. And, and in, I should say, Jeremiah didn't even know that when he bought the land. He just obeyed God and then came to God with his questions. So what does obedience look like for you today? That's the question for all of us. What does obedience look like for us? How do we obey what his word has already said, what his spirit is convicting us to do? And honestly, I think that's a question that we really need to ponder for more than five seconds. And while we will have an invitation, it might not be the come down the aisle type invitation. We will arrange a safer way to, to talk. But I am going to give you an invitation right now. And the invitation is this. What does obedience look like for us today? What does obedience look like for you today? How should you respond to God in this moment? And how should you respond to God in this general sense of this season, of this time that we are going through in our world or in our country, in our families, in our church, and whatever? How do we respond to God? And we know the answer is obedience. But what is obedience? What does obedience look like for you today? Let us pray. Lord, we love you. And I just pray. God, we need you. We need you because when we look around, we see the chaos. We look around and we wonder why we should in the field. And so God, first, help us to know what obedience is. And second, give us the faithfulness to obey you. Give us the discipline to obey you. And help us, Lord, to know specifically what you are telling each one of us to do. You You specifically told Jeremiah about that field. God, specifically tell us things that we need to do, whether it's through your word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through faithful Christian leaders who we can trust, but always confirmed and affirmed by by your spirit and by your word. God, help us to know what obedience is and then help us to do it. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you need to talk to someone about what obedience looks like, then please contact us, contact me, contact one of our deacons, contact another Christian leader that you know. Don't just say, what is obedience? And then walk out of here and you never ask that question again. Each one of us needs to be asking this question. How do we have faith and how do we fear him in the midst of this insane conflict? Well, let's go to his word and let's let his word encourage us and build us up. Let's listen to his word preach. Let's gather together in whatever sense that that is for us right now. Let us worship him. Let us trust him even in the midst of the chaos. Thank you guys for coming. I do want to say I'm extremely excited about Daniel and about him coming. I'm excited that uh, last week, uh, you, you might not think about this. Uh, I could listen to a podcast, right, and hear preaching that way. Um, But unless I'm on vacation, I don't hear other people preach, right? And so I'm excited that there's going to be, you know, once a month or so where I get to hear someone else preach where I'm fed. And I'm excited that we're going to have someone, again, who is passionate about reaching the youth in our community and who is passionate uh, about uh, not just pastoring our youth, but their parents and helping pastor in this church in general. And I'm excited to see how God uses him. And so uh, this is a weird time. I remember when I came, you guys welcomed me and made me feel so loved and so comfortable. And so uh, this coming week, we'll make sure that we have like a mailing address for Daniel. And so if you guys want to send him a letter or a card, or if you just want to say, uh, send him an e- email or find him on Facebook and just say we're so excited, you know, let him know. That you're excited about him coming And what he, and how God is going to use him in our church uh, Even though This is a weird time where we might not all Be able to see him in person So, uh, With that said, as you're leaving if, if you want to give your tithes and offerings We'll have a bucket over here And for those of you who are watching online You can just go to our website At MansfieldMPC.com, And there's a giving tab on the top in the menu And you can click that And, uh, and As we give uh, we're just remembering that we're doing that because of how faithful God has been to us. We're just giving back a portion of what's already His to show that we trust Him. And So uh, remember as you're exiting to do so and uh, spread out for those of you who are here in person. Uh, that way we're not all coming into contact with one another and, and getting too close and into where your mask as you're exiting. And then if you guys want to talk outside, then you can do that. Just make sure you're staying distance or you're wearing your mask, all right? So thank you guys for coming.